0: Welcome to That Good May Become with me, Lars Scappaticci, where we learn to illuminate the esoteric in our everyday lives. Hey, hey. It's Laura, and guess what? I am here to disrupt materialism, and that means perceiving and understanding the parts of life that we can't sense with our five physical senses. So the way that we're doing that this summer is through a book called How to Know Higher Worlds with Rudolf Steiner. And for the people that have been faithfully listening, thank you so much. I'm so grateful to you. Thank you for sending me your pictures and your comments and your emails and just, When you see me saying, when's chapter five coming out? Well, here it is. Here it is today, chapter five of how to know higher worlds. And this is about the requirements, requirements for esoteric training, it's called. So I'm just going to dive right in. What do you think the requirements should be? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you what all of them are. But um, what do you think the requirements should be for spiritual understanding or spiritual training, esoteric training? I think he's pretty spot on with these, but I bet there's a few more that you would add. Let me just start with a quote on page 95. He's telling us the way we have to think about things when it comes to these requirements. Here we go. Just as we cannot become painters if we are unwilling to handle a paintbrush, so we cannot receive esoteric training if we refuse to meet the conditions an esoteric teacher considers necessary. It would be like saying, Teach me to paint, but please excuse me from having to touch a brush. Gosh, I think I kind of feel like that about writing. (laughs) I want to be a writer, but you know what? I don't want to write at all right now. Mm, I don't think it's really going to work out for me if I don't do the things I need to do. So let's see what these requirements are. I'll give you the rundown of all six right here at the beginning. Tend to your health. Know you are a part of the whole of life. Understand the importance of thoughts and feelings. Know that you are a soul spiritual being, have steadfastness, and have gratitude. And we need all of these uh, for the challenges that are on this path. So let's get into requirement number one. Uh, First note, you do not have to be perfect at these conditions, he tells us. You just need to strive, okay, if you are part of the Waldorf movement and anthroposophy, you'll hear people talking about this word striving. So they'll say things like, it's not as a parent that you know how to be a perfect parent. It's that you're striving to be a good parent and that the your children see you striving to be a good human being in the world. The children will receive your striving. So this is like one of those catchphrases in Waldorf and Anthroposophy. So um, I really like, I really like what that means. So I'm just going to strive for these conditions and have that inner attitude of striving um, and not beat myself up too much when I can't quite get it right. Yeah, just keep moving towards it. So here we are striving together in the first requirement, which is health. So it's improving our physical, mental, and spiritual health. I love how he's so like brass tacks about this. Like it's like we we have to try to be healthy people. And he's saying there's going to be all kinds of advice, okay, like intermittent fasting, celery juice, whatever. <laughs> yes, I mean, most of us have tried all of these things. But it's not really anything like that. It really has to do with us and us and are caring for ourselves, so that might mean celery juice. Have any? Have any of you done the celery juice thing? Um, that was a little too much for me, but very good for my friends. So you can see this is an individual thing. And he says also we might be in situations through our work and our experiences that are not health giving, and they can't be prevented. We might have a job that puts us our health in peril in different ways, um, and people are going to give us advice on. Uh, on how to improve, but it really has to come through us. Also, this does not mean do not eat ice cream, okay? I was very relieved to see that. <laughs> Actually, for me, it's star chocolate, but he does make this association with the habit of being very strict or having an ascetic lifestyle with being the same as other extreme of being totally pleasure-focused. So he's like, there's people that are very, very strict and rigid about, health, um, like militant vegans. I don't know any militant vegans. All the vegans I know are like super chill about it, but militant about health and what they do. And he says that's basically the same as being totally pleasure-focused. And the quote that he offers us here is, some people gain the same satisfaction from asceticism that others gain from tippling Love that, tippling, that means drinking. And we cannot expect this kind of asceticism to be useful for higher knowledge. So anything that has that sort of um, extremism to it, which is more about the extremism than it is about the health-giving properties, that's a problem for us on this path to higher knowledge. You know, this comes up again and again. It's not about the practice, but about the motive for the practice. Like he says earlier, you know, like why are we trying to have, you know, a a capacity to perceive spiritual beings or to understand or you know have clairvoyance or clairaudience? It's if it's for selfish reasons, um, that's not the right reason. So it's fine to have a wish for it, but it's about what, why we're wishing for it. That the motivation that's in question. He's always going to talk about that. Um, I had this great question come in how he talks about insatiable curiosity and she was like, well, isn't curiosity is not a bad thing. And even insatiable curiosity is not bad. And I was like, well, there's a difference here. This is my understanding or my interpretation between wanting to understand someone or something. And this is going to come up later in this chapter, um, out of love or out of self gain or like personal curiosity. Those are two very different things. So With Steiner, it's all about motivation. And on this path, I think we can sense that in ourselves. Like, are we wanting to speak because we have a response to something or do we just really want to like put our voice into the circle or give our opinion? Motivation is important on this path. I love this. He says, many people blame everything that seems to hinder their spiritual progress on their outer circumstances. They claim that they cannot work on themselves in their present life situations. Tell me about it. It may indeed be desirable to change our situation for other reasons, but we do not need to do so for our esoteric training. All we need to do for this is promote our bodily and mental health as much as we can, given our present circumstances. So this is my like, oh, I'm battling the laundry and working. And I I mean, I could apply this to my writing practice too. Like I am making a million excuses, but in fact, And maybe it it is desirable to change my situation for other reasons, but in fact, it's really up to me. So he's saying, you know, we could keep making excuses, but we just have to do what we can within the circumstances we live in. And there are plenty of people with much more dire circumstances in their life. So here's a most poignant quote to ponder uh, from this section, and he says this is like do you remember that Margaret Mead quote about a small group of citizens Um, I'll try to find that quote and share it with you but this this is along those lines he says whatever we do even the smallest task can benefit the whole of humanity so maybe he's talking about us taking care of ourselves I mean If you know someone that has made a change in their life where they did some self-care for their body or mental health or their moods um, and you watch that transformation, it affects the people all around them and inspires us. So I think that's what he's saying here. Even the smallest task can benefit the whole of humanity. He's not talking about mental health the way that we say it in this section and not as something clinical, but rather our state of thinking and our mind. And he goes on to say that we need to let go of fantasy, excitability, nervousness, inflation, and fanaticism. Gosh, there's a lot of that around today. We must acquire a sound eye for all that life presents us. We must learn to cope confidently with life. We must learn to allow things to speak to us quietly, letting them work upon us. That is really uh, moving to me, this idea of letting things to speak to us quietly. So it's not like, you know, this like lightning strike of revelation. It's sort of this like quiet buildup of perception and understanding of the world. And letting things work upon us also, like this goes back to the patience that we talked about last time. Thank you for your mantras, by the way. (laughs) There was one very funny one in particular that I think I can't even say on the podcast (laughs) because there's not really a curse word in it, but kind of. But anyway, this goes back to the patience mantra. Thank you to um, the person who sent that one to me. Letting things work upon us is a very different gesture than trying to... Get somewhere and get something done. It's it's definitely quieter and more peaceful. I notice when this is happening in myself, rather than I'm having a reaction or nervousness to me. This is the fruit of meditation. So the more I meditate, and the more I consistently meditate, the more I can see myself. I could perceive myself like this higher self can perceive me, Laura, sitting here after a day of work recording this podcast. I can observe myself a little better and have things come towards me rather than being in everyday ordinary life. I, I just can be removed a little bit and observe. Okay. There's a quote for teachers on page 99. So if you're a teacher, you should check that out. And here's, what I, here's why I know this book is right for our time because all of us are tuning in into this direction right now and all of our thinking has changed in the last four years and this is a quote about criminals that I think that people will be able to relate to because of the way the world is and the way things have changed and how we perceive the human beings around us that are struggling. So he says, I'm a human being. He's talking about people that have committed crimes. I don't know. I think criminals is probably not the right way to say that anymore, but I am a human being just as this person is. Perhaps it was only my upbringing, which my situation in life has given me, that spared me this fate. Then I will reflect that criminals who are my brothers and sisters, my siblings in humanity, might have turned out very differently if they have received the attention and encouragement my mentors gave me. I will be led to reflect that I have received something that was withheld from them, that my good fortune comes at their expense. It is then but a small step to the insight that as a member or organ of humanity as a whole, I am jointly responsible with all human beings for everything that happens. So that's part of the second requirement. Feel ourselves to be part of the whole So we've moved from this first requirement of health into the second one, to feel ourselves being part of the whole. And the third requirement is connected to the second. Win through to the conviction that thoughts and feelings are as important for the world as actions. Like, what? This was mind-blowing for me the first time I read this book. And it continues to be. like They're beings created from my thoughts, not just from what I do in the world. Like There's an impact. And you can go to a podcast that my brother recorded with a vet. His first name is Ari. I think it's Ari Thornton. He talks about thought beings and how they get created by the way that we think, not to freak anybody out. But um, I can sort of feel when there's like a a thought being between me and somebody else because I've created a judgment in there. Uh, and that's not helpful. It's harder to break those things down. But um, you know, if we look at our thoughts and feelings, remember he he said they're as real as furniture in <laughs> one of the other chapters. He's saying this again. Uh, so just having this perspective that thoughts and feelings are as important for the world as actions. And that I think also ties back to the The small things we do in life, if we are considering a person or an event in a loving or thoughtful way rather than in a judgmental or harsh or ungentle, back to gentleness way from the previous chapter, that's very different and can affect many things, has a ripple effect as we know. So here's another most poignant quote to ponder. There were quite a few in this very short chapter. Sorry, it's the end of the day and my mouth isn't working. I guess it doesn't work at the beginning of the day either. Sorry, I can't record these in the middle of the day, so you're just going to have to deal with me. (laughs) Okay, here it is. The world benefits as much from pure feelings and thoughts as from good deeds. How nice, how nice that our pure feelings and thoughts, the things that emanate from our heart and from our clear thinking and non-judgment, are as helpful as good deeds. I really, I really like that because we have opportunities in every moment for these positive, pure feelings and thoughts. We don't have as many opportunities in a day for good deeds, but we do have plenty of opportunities for th- pure feelings and thoughts. You can interpret pure as you'd like. I'm interpreting it as um, non judgmental and from the heart. He says, Indeed, as long as we do not believe in the world significance of our inner lives, we are not ready to take up esoteric training. And we only rightly believe in the meaning of our inner lives, our souls, when we care for our souls and perform our inner work as if it were at least as real as our outer work. That whole section on page 100 is really beautiful to me. And I would say um, it's it's really interesting to work at a Waldorf school because I feel like this is something people carry with them, like their their inner life is important. I think I'm just saying Waldorf school because that's where I am right now. Um, and I think others, y- you might work in an accounting firm where that's the situation. I was talking to someone today a parent at the school who works at this amazing firm that has this um, gesture of openness and support and generosity. And so there's this inner life quality happening there. And taking that in and having that be as important as the work I'm doing in the outer world feels really good to me because it's going to strengthen me for the work I have to do in the outer world. My goodness, people, on the fourth requirement, there are only six. It's lucky for y'all because chapter six is a doozy. (laughs) Okay. The fourth requirement is to understand that our true nature does not lie without, but within. Here's the quote. We can achieve nothing spiritually if we regard ourselves merely as a product, a result of the physical world. We are soul spiritual beings. What is that saying? We're like um, spiritual beings having a human experience. So uh, spiritual beings walking on the earth. And I, I think we're both. We're, we're in this body for a reason. And then we also have the spiritual side. And we have to understand that that is, that is present all the time, the soul spiritual being part of us. He says that we need to find the balance between following the demands of the world and doing what we see is the right thing to do. This really made me think of people in moral uh morally complex situations and how one follows their own intuition and sense of right and wrong and what it what it's like to do that. Um so following the demands of the world and doing what we see as the right thing to do. Um, we, he, he can't really force people to understand what we're doing, but also we need to be free of doing what everybody else does. So everybody else might be, um, you know, I don't know. I remember being like 21 and having, you know, getting ready to graduate from college and having this sense of, Like, am I going to do the next thing, which is join the workforce? Or when you make these decisions, or you might be in a situation where someone is doing something that feels wrong, either harassing someone or maybe breaking even a law or, okay, how about Robin Hood? Robin Hood (laughs) did what he saw was the right thing to do instead of following the demands of the world. There. Maybe that's an example you tell me an example of doing what you think is the right thing rather than following the demands of the world? He um, gives this image of spiritual scales, which is so cool. So imagine that, you know, the Libra scale there, which I'm impartial to because I'm a Libra. Um, and he said on one side, there's an open heart and it's open to the needs of the world and others. And on the other side is an inner firmness, and unshakable endurance. So we're not, we're going to balance those two, this, this open heart and understanding the needs of the world. And we're not going to let that weight us down because on the other side, we have this inner firmness and unshakable endurance that will carry us through the world to do the tasks that we need to do. That's a really great picture, isn't it? Anybody, an artist want to draw that open heart? on one side and the unshakable endurance on the other. That would also, I guess I'm obsessed with tattoos. What, am I going to get a whole paragraph tattooed on my arm last episode? No, no. And then I just decided on the word gentleness. So now whoever's the tattoo artist that's listening, I need a tattoo. <laughs> that includes the word gentleness and also has a picture of an open heart and in unshakable endurance, whatever that looks like. What does that look like? Okay, fifth requirement, steadfastness. Here's page 101. Steadfastness and following through on a resolution once it has been made. Nothing should lead us to abandon something we have decided upon except the insight that we have made a mistake. So this is really interesting, right? Especially when everything seems to change so much in life lately. I think when we understand our motivation for doing something. Sometimes it's easier to follow through, but there's somewhere else in the book where he talks about like, once you set a goal or you have a wish for yourself, not like surface level stuff, but like deeper kind of destiny level stuff. If you don't do it, it kind of breaks you apart a little bit. And so I would say like, This podcast for me is something I wanted to do for so long. So if I did not follow through on it right now, if I didn't have the steadfastness, you're going to have to hold me to this and I don't complete the book. Oh, that's going to feel so wrong, so wrong for me. The only reason I would not do it is if I was like, oh man, I've made a mistake. Not a mistake like taking on too much or whatever, just a mistake in actually carrying the podcast itself. So that would be the kind of mistake. Like this was the wrong thing to do at the wrong time and for the wrong reason. Again, it's all about motivation with Steiner. Like if I figured out my motivation wasn't right, then I should stop. But otherwise, got to keep going. Okay, on page 102, uh, he talks about that motivation. Guess what he says that motivation is, everybody? <gasps> That's right. You got it. L-O-V-E. In the higher world, Love is the only motivation for action that will give us the endurance to keep going if we haven't achieved something that we've tried. So love, the quote is in the higher world, love is the only motivation for action. And I'm saying love is the only motivation that's going to give us the unshakable endurance to keep going if we haven't achieved something that we have tried. Okay, the sixth requirement. Here we are. We're at it. It is one of my favorites, gratitude. And like in the first quote, he includes nature, gratitude for nature. I love that so much. He says, we owe so much to nature and to other people. Grateful thoughts such as these must become second nature for those engaged in esoteric training. Isn't that so beautiful. We've been talking about gratitude this whole time. And right here it is in the book. And I should have remembered it was in here so explicitly, but I didn't. And that's why I'm reading it again. (laughs) But here it is. I'm grateful that he included it and that we can share it. Um, And you know why we need thoughts like these, these second nature thoughts of gratitude? Because we need all embracing love to attain higher knowledge. Why do we need that? Oh and this is particularly amazing. And it's a most poignant quote to ponder. Only if I love something can it reveal itself to me. Oh gosh, it d- that's definitely true about people. Um we think we know somebody but only if we have love there do things reveal themselves to us. These phenomena in the world like Spiritual perception, um, the energetic qualities of plants, um, human humans in general. Only if I love something can it reveal itself to me. So this, there's actually a seventh condition, but it's kind of a summary of all the other ones. I didn't want to, you know, worry you. But the seventh condition is always to understand life as these conditions demand. So... When you need to tend to your health, you tend to your health. Know that you're part of the whole of life. Understand the importance of your thoughts and feelings. Know that you are a soul, spiritual being and have steadfastness and gratitude. And we need all of these to meet the challenges on the path. Um, Here's a few more quotes, poignant quotes to ponder. He's going to riff on love a little bit here. To believe in love. And love humanity is the basis of all striving for the truth. Our striving must be built upon trust and love for humanity, although it does not begin there. Rather, it must flow out of the soul's own forces. And this love for humanity must gradually expand into love for all beings, and indeed for all existence. And here on page 104, if we are successful in this, we shall have a deep love for all that is constructive and creative. Our natural inclination will be to avoid destructiveness. This goes back to the gentleness in chapter four. He continues As esoteric students, we must never destroy for the sake of destroying, neither in deeds nor in thoughts, words, or feelings. Growth and development. Must be our joy. We should lend our hand to destruction only if we are able to bring new life out of what we destroy. Now, we're not just going to sit there and let evil happen if we see evil happening. He's going to talk about that too. This does not mean we should stand idly by while wickedness prevails. On the contrary, In every evil, we must seek out the elements that allow us to transform it into good. What? Oh my gosh. Hmm. How do we do that? (laughs) We will then see more and more clearly that the best way to combat wickedness and imperfection is to create what is good and whole. Ha. Okay. So, the purpose of this training, unlike some other paths where people are, well, like, I don't know, like survivor or boot camp or architecture school, <laughs> the purpose is to build up, not to tear down. And he's saying that here. The purpose, we, we don't destroy, um, we don't, even wickedness, we're not destroying. Instead, we're going to create what is good and whole. It's not about criticism. It's about creating what is good and whole. And he talks about reverence here, another one of those key words in Anthroposophy. Work undertaken for the sake of results is the least likely to produce them. And learning unaccompanied by reverence is unlikely to advance us far. Love for work, not the results, alone moves us forward. That's on page 105. So, are you getting this picture of positivity and goodness and reverence? These are the qualities we're just constantly working on cultivating those in ourselves, not not cultivating other things. We're trying to cultivate the things that we want. So even though I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, judgment, I have to stop being so judgmental. It's actually I have to expand my ability to be loving and to reserve judgment. He's going to talk about that. Um, Here it is back, back to listening. He talks about, and we're almost done. Simply listening to what others say with reverence and devotion rather than immediately opposing it with our own opinions need not lead to be, to our becoming slavishly dependent on them. Those who have achieved something on the path to knowledge know that they owe everything to patient listening and assimilation, not to their own obstinate personal opinions. How many Ps did I throw into the microphone right there? Patient, obstinate, personal opinions. Um, Anyway, what you see here is, again, this focus on reverence and devotion and Um, It's not like you lose yourself in someone or become dependent on them. You, You know where your gratitude lies and you listen patiently and take in what people are saying. We must always remember that where we have already formed a conclusion, we cannot learn anything. Are you in trouble? Sometimes I'm in trouble. I formed a conclusion about someone or something or an opinion or what's happening in the world somewhere. Uh, Let me read that quote again. We must always remember that where we have already formed a conclusion, we cannot learn anything. And this whole path and our evolution as human beings depends on learning. If we don't understand something, We can just leave it. We don't have to understand. We don't have to judge it because we don't understand it. We can just leave it and come back to it and understand it later. You know, ordinary life is not subtle or delicate. There's just a lot of like, boom, hit you in the face with things <laughs> in ordinary life. There's a lot of, um, you know, our senses are wide awake. Like there's the door, here's my body, here's this feeling or sensation. But this path requires really subtly tuning in. That's why these these, emo- these emotions are these way of perceiving things like reverence and love, devotion, non-judgment. They're more subtle. They're not um, so forceful as the rest of life and that subtle tuning in that gentleness and that open-mindedness that holding back judgment they're so important because this inner life and these perceptions are subtle and gentle and they come at us quietly and that's back to the beginning this this they work on us slowly and in a quiet way and we have to be ready to receive them by preparing in ourselves these quiet and subtle spaces. Okay. Here are my questions for you. Which requirements come easily to you and which are the most difficult? So are you like, oh, I got the gratitude thing down. Good job, me. Um, Health, not so easy. Or steadfastness, forget it. I'm always changing course, um, which might be fine. Remember when he talks about the wishes in the last chapter? If you didn't hear that, I'd go back to to that to understand the steadfastness a little bit more, but which of the requirements were hard for you? He also mentions truth in here. What do you think of truth? The truth of what the higher worlds are. What does that mean to you? Um, It was one of those concepts I had to grapple with early on in anthroposophy. I was like, okay, truth is subjective. What does this mean truth? But he's saying it's like math theorems. It can't be can't be disputed. Truth. The way that he talks about truth here in this next section, and my last quote of this podcast, he says, "Spiritual science or anthroposophy does not force truths on anyone and does not proclaim any dogma." So, if you know anthroposophers or anybody on a spiritual path and they're they're proclaiming truths or forcing dogma on people, they ain't doing it right. They are not doing it right. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Okay, I mean, I guess that's me telling you the truth there or giving you some dogma about people not doing it right. But really, uh, this idea of um, dictates and dogma and this is the truth, this this training shows you a way. You can also find your own way, but it may take a while, like a few lifetimes or something like that. <laughs> but you will discover um, your sense of truth, I guess. I don't know. I'm getting the truth thing all wrong. You guys tell me what you think of the truth. And then we'll go to chapter six, which I'm really looking forward to because we're going to chakrify (laughs) you. It's what happens in our soul organisms. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Thank you for listening. Thanks again for all your messages. From people all over the country and all over the world, I'm so grateful. Please keep sending them to me. Please share the podcast with other people you know, Waldorf teachers in particular, um, people that are biodynamic farmers, you know, like your great aunt who's like... Well, my aunt, my Aunt Gail, I just got to talk about her. She's listening to my podcast right now and she's in her late 80s and she's so fantastic and has no connection to anthroposophy. And she's like riffing there with me. So I appreciate that. I appreciate all of you. And I'll see you next week for chapter six. Bye-bye.